Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. I'm so thankful and proud to be able to be here. Um, This is a special night because it's the first night I've ever preached in front of my parents. My parents are Terry and Becky Tidmore, Um, which I'm excited about, but I have to, I normally tell stories when I preach, and I've never had to tell a story about my parents in front of my parents, so that will be interesting tonight. But I, I, you know, I love the Lord. I love everything that he's doing in our nation, in our world, and um, let me just pull this up real quick. Amen. All right. Well, as um, our brother said, I'm, I live up in Missouri, and I've been down here for a couple weeks now, and I have the opportunity to speak. And um, I'm just so thankful for everything that God's doing in my life and in this church life. My parents have told me quite a bit about how much they enjoy being here and what God's doing here. And, and um, I just, I'm thankful that they're being able to be a blessing and be able to be here and be blessed um, because it's important. And last May, I graduated from ORU up in Tulsa. I got a degree in biblical studies. And over the last three years studying this stuff, uh, the Bible, I have developed a great passion for the Word of God. I love the Word of God. I love to read the Word of God. I love to to try to comprehend the Word of God. I try to, I love to study and be fed by the Word of God. I love the Word of God. I'm also a man who loves the presence of the Holy Spirit. I love the presence of our Lord. I love to be in in services and be in situations where the the Lord is so tangible and real, you can't deny that he is who he says he is. Amen? I love the Lord. I love the Spirit of God, and I love serving him with all of my heart. I've come to the realization in studying and searching and seeking God that there is no substitute for the presence of God. There is no substitute for an experience and encounter with God. One experience with Christ will change everything. David says in Psalm 1611, you, show, uh, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hands are pleasures forevermore. The presence of God brings us joy, and our salvation experience should be a continual encounter with our Lord. Salvation isn't supposed to be something that we experience once and just wait till we go to heaven. Salvation is something that we get to experience on a continually day-to-day moment. Everything changes when we're in the presence of God. I'm someone who was lost, but because of God, I'm now found. I had an incredible experience with God, and in one instant, I went from running from him, running from his call, to being changed and seeking him forevermore. I was raised in a very Christian home. I mean, we only listened to Wow 1996 and Caleb growing up in my home. I didn't hear my first secular song until I was 11 or 12, and I was just, I didn't know they had secular music. And so uh, I grew up in a very Christian home. I got saved when I was six years old, um, filled with the Holy Spirit when I was 11. But when I was 19, 20, I I felt a call of God in my life. I didn't think that I was worthy enough to do it, so I ran from God because I wasn't convinced I could do it. And I ran for several years, and if it wouldn't have been for me being vulnerable and just giving myself to God in one moment and having one experience and one encounter with him, I wouldn't be where I am today. My title tonight is, All It Takes is a Touch, because all it takes is one touch and one encounter with our Lord to be forever changed. If you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, normally I'll just look at one verse or two verses and then give 
several points that we can practically take home. But today, I want to look at two separate passages of Scripture, first in John 20 and then in Mark chapter 5. And I want to look at these passages, and I want to look at the circumstances of each passage. I'm going to look at the characters or the people and the story of these passages. And then I want to look at not just what Christ did in their life and not just the encounter they had with Christ, but who they were before this encounter and who they were after an encounter with the Lord. Because we're supposed to encounter the Lord on a continual basis. As I said, it's not just once. It's supposed to be a day-to-day, month-to-month, week-to-week thing. We are continually being changed from glory to glory in our Lord Jesus. Amen? One, um, I only have one major point this evening, and I'll just say it over and over again tonight, and that is one encounter with Christ will change everything. Amen? Let's pray before we get started. Lord, we thank you and we bless you. We ask that you would be in this house tonight, Lord God. Touch and strengthen us. Lord, we are here to encounter you. We are here for a touch from you. So we ask that you would touch us and strengthen us tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. John chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the print in his nails, and put my finger into the print of his nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the door being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. In verse 28, Thomas answered and said, my Lord, my God. I love this story because we see Thomas here is having a moment of unbelief of what the situation is. In this passage, we see the disciples are in a moment after Christ had already risen from the dead. Earlier in this chapter of John chapter 20, the tomb was discovered empty, and shortly after that, Jesus appeared to his disciples and showed himself to them, and they believed. However, for some unknown reason, Thomas had not been with them when Jesus first appeared, and they testified that Christ had risen, and Thomas could not believe. I don't understand completely Thomas's unbelief on one hand, because Thomas was one of the original 12 disciples. He walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry, He was there for the feeding of the thousands. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus raise the dead. He saw healings, miracles. And beyond that, he had a personal one-on-one relationship with Christ. Beyond that, he heard Christ give prophecy saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to get buried. I'm going to get resurrected. He heard the prophecies of Christ, and still he didn't believe. And then beyond that, he had his brothers and sisters in the room testifying, yes, he really did raise from the dead. And Thomas still could not believe. I think it's interesting that when you look at the other disciples, all Jesus had to do was show up and present himself, and the disciples were, had faith and rejoiced at just the sight of the Lord. But Thomas said, I have to touch him for me to be able to believe. I can't just see him alone. I have to touch him for me to believe that he's risen from the dead. Not much is told to us about Thomas before this, other than earlier in John's gospel, Lazarus Jesus' friend dies, and Jesus and his disciples go to Lazarus to raise Lazarus back from the dead. And Thomas is so passionate about Jesus' ministry and so passionate about Jesus, he's saying, he says, we go here, and if we die for what we're going to do, we'll die for what we're going to do. He was ready to die for the cause of Christ. So Thomas was a passionate man. 
he knew Jesus, he saw the miracles, he heard the testimonies, he heard the prophecies, but yet he was in a moment where he could not believe that his Lord had died. I think it might be, this is just my opinion, but I think it might be possible that Thomas was so in love with Christ and so passionate about Christ that when he heard that Christ has died, his heart was so broken, he could not fathom that his Lord and Savior had died. I think that he was so invested into this man's ministry that when the Lord died, he was so shattered, he couldn't comprehend what was going on. Even if there was heard the miraculous, heard the testimonies, he couldn't comprehend what was happening. Maybe we can identify with Thomas here on some level. There might have been times in our life where it seems like God is all but in our situation. We've had experiences with him in the past. We've had prophecy or words spoken over us. We've experienced him. We know who he is. We had a personal relationship with him. But then tragedy strikes. The jobs aren't coming like they're supposed to. Stuff in our family is not happening the way it's supposed to. Heartache, discouragement, despair, whatever the case may be, fear, doubt comes our way. And it's like we forget what God has done time and time again. So in some way, I can relate to Thomas. In other ways, I think you walked with the man himself. How could you not believe what he says? Although I can't, I've never been in Thomas's shoes. I was trying to think of an example in my own life to where I felt forsaken by my own father. And he just happens to be here tonight, so we'll just see how that goes. But when I was a kid, I was, I remember how old I was. I remember the whole situation. I was nine years old. I shared a room with my brother. We had an old TV, the, the knob that you turned, that had like seven channels on it, and that was it. And a huge VCR on top, just in our room. And it was my grandmother's TV that we were borrowing. And this TV and VCR was the pride of my life because, and I'm not saying that I let my own kids watch this someday, but we watched the movie Grease with John Travolta over and over and over again. There was a point in my life where you couldn't convince me at nine years old that I wasn't Danny Zuko from the movie Grease because I watched it so much and did the, I knew every dance move. I knew every line. I mean, I was, my brother and I, I I'm surprised the VHS didn't break because we literally watched it, rewound it, watched it, rewound it. So one Christmas, Christmas Eve, my father came in the room and he said, Stephen, Daniel, we're going to talk. Look, you don't respect your mom. You don't respect me. You don't keep your room clean. You don't do anything you're told to do. You've just been disobeying us too much. So we're taking this TV back to your grandma tonight when we go over there for Christmas. And I was devastated because what was I going to do without grease lightning in my life? There was no point in living, for God, or living in period if I couldn't have grease. And so my brother and I would try to clean our room. And my dad said, that's nice, but we're still taking this TV back. We begged. We went through stages of grief and didn't get through them all because by the time we went to my grandma's house that night, I was still in a very frustrated mood. And we got to my grandma's house, and my dad said, look, they're not really respecting us, so here's your TV back. And I was just frustrated and lost faith in my father. And that night, I don't know if it's just how I remember it, but we have my, my brother, myself, we have a little sister and a bunch of younger cousins who were all girls. All night long, how I remember it, they just kept getting Barbie dolls and dolls and different things that they would love for Christmas. And I felt like I got sweater after sweater after sweater, which is not what a nine-year-old who just lost Greece wants to receive. And I was kind of a dramatic kid, and I remember thinking to myself, if I get one more sweater, I'm going to scream as loud as I can. And I got another sweater, and I don't know if I screamed or not, but I wasn't very happy. So the end of the night came around, 
And my grandmother said, hey, I forgot we have one more gift for you guys. And my dad and my uncle brought this big box out. And they were like, I think it's for Stephen and Daniel. And I was dramatic. And I remember walking to this box and I thought, if it's a box of sweaters, I'm going to burn this house down. This is too much. (laughs) So we opened the box. And inside the box was a brand new TV with a remote control. So if I wanted to change it to any channel and watch static, I had that right now. It had a VCR inside the TV. So we could get rid of that big old 1980s VCR. And so my brother and I were so excited. We're giving each other high fives and stuff. And then someone said, well, there's something else in that box. Take a look. So we looked in there. And this was 1998. There was a brand new Nintendo 64, which was the biggest game system at the time, with four controllers, all the games you could need. There were three games. That's all the games you need. Three games that were there, all the Mario games. And my brother and I were so excited that we hugged each other, which was like one in five times in our life that that's happened because it was so important to us. And I was excited and ecstatic. And I, from what I remember, I found out later, my grandma wanted to buy us that Nintendo system, but the TV wasn't compatible. So, when he, so she was like, well, I'll just buy a new TV as well. So my dad needed to find a way to take the TV to my grandma's house. So instead of just saying, your grandma wants your TV back, he like had psychological warfare on us and put us through the ringer. But he got the TV back so that we could get above and beyond what we were even thinking of. Now, I know that circumstance is in no way comparable to Thomas's situation with Jesus. But there are times in our life, if you're nine years old and you think your favorite movie is being taken away from you, or wherever you're at in life, you feel like sometimes your father has forsaken you for whatever reason. And we have to remember knowing that God is who he says he is. And just because we sometimes don't see what's happening, God is who he says he is. And if we're faithful and we step out, he will meet us where we are and give us above and beyond what we need. He's a great dad. That was just one moment. But he's a great, he knew. He's a great dad. In verse 28 of chapter 20, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Now, I don't think that this, he touches Jesus and he says, my Lord, my God. I don't think that this was just an an explanation of shock where he said, my Lord, my God. I believe Thomas was making a revelation and making a statement and proclaiming, you are my Lord and my God. He touched the Lord and in one second, he didn't even believe Jesus was still alive. He sees Jesus. He touches him. The very next second, he's saying, not only are you alive, but you are my Lord and my God. That word Lord had two meanings. Um, It meant master or owner of some property. So a servant would serve a Lord, and that servant wasn't free, but he was property or he served the Lord and his master during that time. Jesus didn't force this on Thomas, but Thomas was acknowledging, Jesus, you are now my Lord and my master. Jesus from what Thomas's point of view, Jesus was saying, or Thomas was saying, Jesus, now you own all of me, all of my possessions, all of my belongings. Thomas was proclaiming that he was now a servant of the Lord, and he turned over all of his rights to Christ, all he owned, all he had, all of his hopes, his dreams, his fears, everything he had was now the Lord's. I was, I'm the oldest brother. I have a younger brother and sister, and I used to like to pretend like I was Lord over them during the summers. And I would like to tell them what to do. And sometimes it worked, and sometimes it didn't. And sometimes you had to force them into it, and sometimes they just did it. But when you really submit yourself to someone, like Thomas submitted himself to the Lord, you don't have to fight to do that. You're saying, now, Lord, you own every part of me and everything that I have. 
The second thing Thomas says is, my God. And that's interesting because Thomas could have said, my Lord, my Messiah, my Lord, my Redeemer, my Lord, my Savior. But Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And that word God was the word theos, and it connected Jesus to the God of the Old Testament or the God of all time. So here Thomas is saying that Jesus was there when the world was formed. He recognized that Jesus was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was there when the Israels walked out of Egypt on dry ground through the Red Sea. He was there when David killed Goliath. He was present when Solomon asked not for fame or riches, but for wisdom. He was there when Elisha defeated the prophets of Baal and was there when Daniel was in the den of lions. What Thomas was saying is not only are you my Lord, but you are the God who was and is and always will be. And that's significant to me because in one moment, Thomas doesn't even believe Jesus is still alive. He sees him, and then he touches him, and then he has this revelation that not only are you alive, but you're my Lord, and you are my God. I think that revelation Thomas has is significant for two reasons. One, I want to have that same revelation on a daily basis. I want Lord to be my Lord and my God. I want God to own everything I have, my hopes, my dreams, my fears, my desires, everything that's inside of me, I want God to own that. And when he says go somewhere, I want to go. When he says stop, I want to stop. I want God to be in complete control of my life. And at the same time, I find it so humbling and almost unbelievable that the God who spoke the world into existence now wants to have a personal and close relationship with me on a daily basis. That revelation is powerful. The second thing that's powerful about this revelation was the fact that Thomas had a revelation to begin with. As I said, he was so convinced that Jesus couldn't be alive. And then Jesus is there. He touches the side of Jesus. And all of a sudden, he goes from, I don't even know what to do, to not only are you here and living, but I'm going to serve you forever. And you are the God of all gods and Lord of all lords. When we touch the Lord, when we have a, a moment or an encounter with the Lord, we go from not believing to not only believing, but saying, I don't just believe you, but I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. An encounter and a touch with the Lord is powerful. Amen? There might be some of us here tonight who are in a, a dark season or a confusing season, and maybe Thomas's story reminds us of ourselves. Some of us might be discouraged or doubtful or forgetful of what God's done in the past, but one touch from God and one encounter with our Lord will change us forever, no matter where we are. If you'll turn real quick to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. I'm going to summarize most of this story. We'll just read a couple of scriptures. But in Mark chapter 5, this is earlier in the narrative of Jesus. He's, it's longer, or much um, sooner than the uh, crucifixion. He's in his ministry mode in his life. And uh, him and his disciples arrive to a certain town, and a religious leader comes up to him. His name looks like Darius with a J, so I've been pronouncing it Jarius. That could be right, that could be wrong. But tonight we're going to call him Jarius. Um, a religious leader named Jairus came to Jesus and asked him to come heal his sick daughter. His daughter was 12 years old, and Jesus agrees, and on his way to the house to heal this religious leader's daughter, um, we pick up our story in verse 25, Mark 5:25. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. She had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if I may only touch his clothes, I shall be made well. 
Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt, she felt it in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that the power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? I will stop there. His disciples say, um, Jesus, everyone's touching you. Uh, how are we supposed to know who touched your clothes? And Jesus says, no, I know power came out from me. The woman said, I, I touched you. And in verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. The story then continues on. And as soon as he says this to the girl, someone comes up and says, Jairus, your daughter has died. There's no point in even coming now. But Jesus still goes. He goes into the house and he raises this girl from the dead. Now, this story has, like I said, there's two separate stories in Jesus' life, but, and there's two different characters, a lot of different people there. But when you look at these two stories, there's one common theme in all the stories. When someone encounters God, they go from being sick or dead to being healed. They go from not knowing who he is to knowing exactly who he is and being willing to follow them for the rest of their life. I chose this story because it shows several different people who were on opposite ends of the spectrum of society. You look at Jairus and this woman, they were both in a desperate need of a miracle. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue, so he was responsible for keeping the scroll, instructing the youth in the scripture, administering orderly worship, and helping the needy. On any given time, any given day, you could probably find Jairus in the synagogue or in the church working for God. In contrast, or on the other hand, the condition of this sick woman disqualified her from coming into the house of God. Since she was unclean, she couldn't enter into the synagogue, and she couldn't be there. So at the same time, there's someone who's in the synagogue every day of his life, and there's someone who's not allowed to be in the synagogue. At the same day, at the same moment, they both need a touch from God, and he's willing to give both of them an encounter and change their lives. When I look at this, I also see that Jairus, he saw Jesus, and he ran up to Jesus saying, Jesus, will you help my daughter? He purposely sought out Jesus for a miracle. In contrast, this woman, it seems like she almost just happened to hear that Jesus was in town. It was almost like she just heard, oh, Jesus is here. And it almost was random that Jesus happened to be in the same place that she was. But once she heard that he was there, she went to him hoping for a miracle. So we see same people, two different circumstances. One is pursuing God for a touch. One just happens to come across God, and God still touches both of them. The third thing I realize is that this woman had been sick for 12 years. For 12 years, she was in agony. She suffered many things by many physicians and spent all the money she had and was no better. For 12 years, her body and her health was in a constant state of decline. In contrast, Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. She had went through 12 years of her body becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. From zero to 12, your body just grows in strength. But I... One moment, she all of a sudden now needs a miracle. So you have one woman who for 12 years is going through agony. On the other side, you have a girl who's for 12 years has just been growing in strength, but at the same time, at the same moment, they need an encounter with the Holy Spirit. They need an encounter with Jesus. This woman would have been considered unclean, as I said, and in that time, that culture, they would have looked at her and said, it's because of her sin that she's going through this. It's because of her sin that she is not healed at this moment. But you look at this girl from zero to 12 years old, they would have looked at her and said, she is innocent for she's just a child. She's done nothing to bring this on to herself. So you look at both people, one woman is blamed for sin for what she's going through. This girl is... Um, 
proclaimed innocent, and at the same time, God touches both of them. I look at the the figure of this story, and I see that God doesn't look at position or title. He's not intimidated by sickness or death or dire circumstances. Nothing surprises our Lord. Nothing scares him, and nothing catches him off guard. He responds to faith regardless of how serious the situation is. This story in Mark amazes me because Mark is contrasting these different people of the story to show that no matter what your circumstance is, one moment with God will change your life forever. It doesn't matter if you're in church every day or you haven't been to church in 12 years. When you get in front of the presence of God, you are going to walk out changed. It doesn't matter if you've been through 12 years of pain and turmoil or you've been through 12 years of getting stronger and stronger. One moment with God will change your life forever. Faith saved both of these people in the story. One was the woman's faith. Her own faith saved her. And one was the faith of a father. The father went out with his faith and touched Jesus. And Jesus came and healed his daughter. Faith will save us. All we need is a touch. I chose to look at these two separate stories because I see the extreme diversity of each person. Each person in these stories are in such a different place with God. And in each situation, God touches them and God strengthens their body. Amen? These people in this story have different backgrounds. They experienced different levels of pain, and they needed unique experiences with God. And God meets them where they are. One common theme is they all needed and they all encountered Jesus. And when these people touched Jesus, their lives were instantly changed. We need a touch in our personal lives. Our nation needs a touch from God. Our city needs a touch from God. Where we, our kids go to school and need to touch from God. We need a touch from God in this land today. And all it takes is one touch, one move of God, one encounter with God, where we go from doubting to believing and following him for the rest of our life, from being on our deathbed to being completely well, to be having 12 years of agony to touching God, and all of a sudden we're healed completely. We need a touch from God. When I was looking at these two stories and I saw the different diversities here, um, I noticed several things. I look at Thomas, and I see that he was a personal close friend with God for three years. He knew Jesus intimately. He saw his deeds. He actually took part in miracles with Jesus. He was close to God. You look at Jairus. He was a religious leader, so he was in the church, but he wasn't in Christ. So he was around church. He knew of God, but he wasn't living for a close personal relationship with Christ. You look at this woman, she couldn't go to church for 12 years because of her sin or because of where she was at. She couldn't be in church because of that. And then you look at the girl and she was innocent and pure for 12 years. But at the same time, they all need a touch from God. And that tells me that from the most spiritual person to the one who hasn't been in church in 12 years, all it takes is a touch for your life to be completely and utterly changed. I see that Jesus came before Thomas. He appeared in the room, and then he immediately said, peace be to you, which I get, because if Jesus just appeared out of nowhere, he's going to have to say, peace, because I'm going to be freaking out a little bit. <laughs> we have a cat at home, and it was, uh, I'm staying with my parents while I'm home, and I was laying on the couch, I rolled over, and she was just staring at me, and that alone made me want to, you know, say something. So if Jesus appeared, peace be still. Better be the first thing that comes out of his mouth. But Jesus came to Thomas and touched his life. Jairus chased after God because he needed to touch. And this woman 
almost by chance, saw that God came by. But she was smart enough to know that if God is coming by, I better do everything I can because I'm not going to miss him in this moment right here. This tells me that all it takes is a touch, that no matter what your circumstances of your encounters are, when you touch Jesus, you will be changed. Whether he comes to you, you seek him, it happens by seemingly accident. When Jesus, is, when Jesus touches you, you will be changed. I look at Thomas, and I see that, as I said, he saw the miraculous. He was well-versed in the works of Jesus and took part in the miracles. Jairus' daughter was innocent for a season and in growth and strength for 12 years. And this woman was sick and bound and in a decline for 12 years. And that tells me that it doesn't matter what your past is or what you've gone through in the past or what you've gone through in this last season in your life. When you touch Jesus and when you touch Christ, your life is changed forever. These two examples of scripture show us that it doesn't matter how spiritual you are, whether you have a personal relationship with God on a daily basis, whether you've been in church but not in Christ, or whether you haven't been in church in years. It doesn't matter what the circumstances of your encounter with Jesus is, whether he comes and stands literally in front of you, whether you seek him tonight like a, for a miracle like Jairus did, or if you just happened here by chance. And it doesn't matter what your history is, if you've been in a season of spiritual heights, a steady season of growth, or a season of despair and pain, when you get in front of the presence of God, you will walk out completely and utterly changed. God doesn't, it doesn't matter where you've done, what you've been through, or where you're going. God, when he meets you, you will be changed. Matthew 14, 35 through 36, Jesus and his disciples arrived to a new area. And it says, when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out unto all the surrounding regions, Brought him to all who brought, they brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. If we may just touch Jesus tonight, no matter where we are in our life, we will be made perfectly well. I'm a pretty practical person. And so I, when I hear something like this, I want to know what does that mean? We can't literally touch Jesus. So I want to know what does that mean to touch the Lord? What does that mean to have an encounter with him? I think the first thing that we need is we have to have faith. All three of these individuals of these stories had faith. Even Thomas had a little spark of faith. He said, if I can just touch him, I only have a little bit of faith, but if I can just touch him, I'll believe that he is still alive and he is who he said he is. We need faith. The other disciples saw Jesus and believed. Thomas needed to touch Jesus to believe, and Jesus met Thomas where he was. If we have a little bit of faith, God will meet us where we are. The second thing we must do is we must act. Like the sick woman, when we have an opportunity to meet God, we must take action. Regardless of what other thinks, if we're embarrassed or if the situation seems so dire and useless that it doesn't, what's the point of even getting up at this point? If we are so willing to step out like the sick woman is, we can encounter the Holy Spirit. She must have been embarrassed, and I think that this was her only chance in her mind. I'm thinking... If I'm living in Jerusalem at this time, or wherever she was in that area, and Jesus walks through this guy I've heard about, what are the chances that this guy is going to walk down my street ever again in my lifetime? She must have thought, I'm only, I only have one shot today to go meet him. I'm going to step out. I'm going to have some action, and I'm going to touch him. What can it hurt? So we have to have faith, and then we have to act on that faith and seek God, no matter if it's embarrassing or 
or we feel uncomfortable. The community around her would have known who she was. They would have been the people that for years looked at her sick, not being well, saying it's because of her sins that she's in this situation. But she brushed up against them and passed them because her destination was worth the things she had to go through to get a touch from God. The last thing that we must do is we must persevere. In difficult moments and seasons in life, we must learn from Jairus and trust that Jesus will meet all of our needs. He had faith. He acted on that faith. But then he got the report that his daughter was dead. But we have to learn from that story and know that no matter what the situation is, God can and will come through for us. In moments when it seems like he isn't there, we must continue to reach out for him because he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. We must have faith. We must act on our faith. We must continue to have faith and act on our faith until we see God move in our lives. And if I have to have faith and act on my faith for the rest of my life and never see what I want to see, I'm going to continue to do that and continue to do that because I'm going to seek God until I encounter him. I want revival to come back to America again. I want our nation's moral compass to turn back and point towards God again. And I'm going to keep fighting for that and keep having faith and keep acting on that faith until I see it. I want things, there are things in my own life I want God to do in my life, and I'm going to keep on having faith that he's going to meet me. I'm going to keep acting on that faith. I'm going to keep going towards him until the day I see it. And if I take my last breath and I don't see it, I can stand before him and say, I had faith and I acted on it. And he'll be able to say, enter in good and faithful servants. Amen? Tonight, I have one final observation when I'm looking at this scripture. Um, When we look through scripture, we see story after story of men and women in terrible need of an experience with God. The before and after states of these individuals are astounding. God comes through time and time again, and all it takes is a touch And people and circumstances change immediately. These stories give me and others hope on a continual basis because I know that no matter what I'm going through, one moment with God will change me forever. And as much as I love these stories and as much as they give me hope and faith and they give me encouragement, one thing I don't always love about our view on the Bible is how we have come to label the people in the Bible. And here's what I mean. Thomas has always been known as Thomas the Doubter. The sick woman has always been known as the woman with the issue of blood. The 12-year-old girl has always been known as Jairus' sick daughter. But I don't think that we should be identified by our affirmities or our dire situations or our doubts or our past. We shouldn't be identified and called by that. I believe that we should be identified by who we are after we encounter Christ. And that's not just why once was a sinner, I encountered Christ, and now I'm saved. That's from glory to glory to glory. I don't want to just be remembered as the guy who got saved one time. I want to be remembered as the guy who from day to day, week to week, month to month, and was continually seeking after God. Thomas went on to be a vital part of the early church. He was martyred for the cause of Christ. He was part of the people that took the gospel of, of Jesus in the kingdom to the uttermost parts of the world. He helped establish God's church, the church that is still standing today, but we only remember him as Thomas the Doubter, when we should be remembering him as the one who touched Jesus and had the revelation of my Lord and my God. The sick woman should not be remembered as the woman with the issue of blood, but the woman who was healed by her faith. The young girl should not be remembered as Jairus' sick daughter. Instead, she was the one who once was dead, 
but because of Christ, became alive, and we are all in that same boat today because we were all once dead, but because of Christ, we are today alive, and I would hate to be remembered as the guy who was dead once, and now he's not. I want to be remembered as a son of God, someone who follows after Jesus, and is in his kingdom forever as a co-heir with Christ. All it takes is a touch, and we can have our identities changed in an instant. We need to have multiple encounters like this through our lives, from glory to glory to glory, so that at the end of our lives we can say, God, I continually sought after you. I had faith, I acted on it, and I persevered and saw you meet me time and time again. I'm younger. My mom told me yesterday I was pushing 30, and I never thought about it until she said it. So now I'm thinking about it. But just, and I've been saved for six years now, and just in my little time of being saved, I have seen God come through for me time and time again. And I'm going to continue to see God come through me time and time again. And I can remember time after time where I needed direction, I needed just encouragement. Sometimes I needed to just be like David and, and, and encounter God so I could encourage myself in him. And those small moments, there weren't big, angels weren't singing, it was just those small moments where I encountered God to get me through the week, to get me through the following week so that I could do something for God. I sought him, I went after him, and he met with me. And when those one encounters happen, when you touch God and you are changed forever, it is something incredible that you can't really explain until it happens. And it's not only a one-time thing. It is a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly thing. I don't plan on doing this normally, but uh, every year or so, I'll just look back to where I was a year ago and who I am today. And I hope that I am closer to God today than I was a year ago. And I hope a year from now, I'm closer to God then than I am now. And luckily, it's always been the case. But if I ever get to the point where I can look back and say I was closer to God a year ago than I am today, then I'll thank God I'm in trouble and I need you. I want to continually mature in Christ and get closer and closer to him. We need a touch tonight. We need a touch in our church, in our world, in our lives. We need a touch from God. Amen. Can we stand tonight? All it takes is a touch. I've said that probably 80 times tonight. However, I think, especially in my age group and younger, we have kind of lost an appreciation for the process. As I stated earlier, we need to persevere, but we live in a culture where it's instant gratification. Whatever I want, whenever I want it, I can get it. And I'm guilty of this. Back home, I live in Missouri. I, want a dom I don't eat pizza very often. I want a Domino's pizza. Got on the app. Looked, they said, we don't deliver, you can't use the app in your region. And I thought, well, then I'm not having Domino's. I'll have to call them. I'll have to talk to a person. I'll have to hear them, give me their specials, and then I'll have to choose one. It's just too much work. I'm a part of that generation where if I don't have it now, I don't want to wait for it. But sometimes when you want a touch from God, you have to persevere and you have to wait on him. You have to seek him until he touches you. There might be someone here tonight where you need a touch from God, maybe you find yourself in Thomas's shoes. You've experienced God in such incredible and real ways in the past, but you're in a season where it seems like all is lost. You've forgotten the experiences of the past, and you need to have your hope and your faith restored. Maybe you're here, or you or one of your family members is going through a prolonged season of pain, maybe physical pain, maybe emotional, maybe spiritual, maybe mental. They're going through a time where they need God, and it's been going on for a while, and they need to touch God, or you need to touch God. And that's the only thing that will work. You meet God tonight, 
touch his garment and he will heal you. Perhaps life's been going great, but there's been a sudden development and you're unable to comprehend what God's doing in your life at this moment. You know you need God to move in your life. You know you need to touch him and he'll change your life. Maybe you're in here tonight and you just want to experience more of him. No obstacles, no dire situations. You just know that it takes him day in and day out to get through this life and you need him. When we reach out in faith and we touch him, we may start by having doubts. But just like Thomas, you will leave saying, my Lord, my God, my master, my savior, my alpha, my omega, my beginning, my end, my author and my finisher, my fortress, my shield, my rock and my salvation. He is those things for all of us. He is those things daily for all of us. An experience with God, when you touch God, it turns Abram to Abraham, the father of many nations. It turns Jacob the liar into Israel, the promised heir. It changes Moses from a murderer and a shepherd hiding alone in the wilderness to a leader who led God's people out of Egypt. A touch changed Gideon from a timid, shy person into the deliverer of Israel. An experience with God took David, a shepherd boy, and a forgotten son of the family and turned him into the greatest king Israel ever knew. You look into the New Testament, we see that when encountering Jesus, 11 ordinary men were transformed into the founders of the church that still stands today. And an encounter with Christ turned Saul of Tarsus, the murderer and persecutor of Christians, into the Apostle Paul, the most influential man in the New Testament. If God can do that in them in one moment, what can God do in our lives today? God wants to meet with us. And when's the last time we said, we're going to seek God, we're going to go after him, and I'm not going to leave until I know that I have been touched. Like Thomas said, I will not be satisfied until I touched him. I can't guarantee that our situations are going to change, especially in our nation or our world, but I can promise that when we touch God, we will change. And instead of our situations influencing us, we will influence our situations. There's a song we used to sing when I was a kid, and I don't know if we uh, can have some musicians come up here or play some music. But there was a song we used to sing when I was a kid, and it, I'm just going to say the course. It's called, He is Here. He is here, hallelujah. He is here, amen. He is here, holy, holy, and I will bless his name again. He is here, listen closely. Hear him calling out your name. He is here, you can touch him, and you will never be the same. I believe the Lord is in this house tonight, and I believe that he wants to touch us. If we can all bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, we thank you for being here tonight. We thank you for meeting with us, Holy Spirit. I know that you know where each one of us is, Lord. You know where we are in our walk. We know where we are in our life, Lord. You know every situation that every single one of us is going through, Lord. I ask that you would touch us and strengthen us here tonight. Lord, we want to wait and we want to tarry on you until you meet with us tonight, Holy Spirit. So please, touch and strengthen us, Lord God. Be with us tonight. With all of our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're in here tonight and you're saying, I need a touch from God, I related to something that you said tonight about a situation they were in, and I want to touch the Lord God tonight, will you raise your hand? Lord, will you touch me tonight? Will you strengthen me tonight? Thank you, Lord. Maybe you know someone in your, in your family who's sick or someone who needs God or someone who needs a touch from you, and you're saying, God, I want to stand in for them. I want to believe for them that they would encounter you in a very real and an incredible way. Will you lift your hands? I know someone in my life.
How about if you're saying, I, I know that in our world today, in our nation today, we need another touch from God to change us from disbelief to saying, not only is God real, but he is our Lord and our God. Will you lift your hands? Our nation needs a touch. Tonight, before we leave, can we just all come down tonight, if you lifted your hands, and just spend a couple minutes with God saying, God, will you touch us tonight? We want you to touch us. We want to be with you, Lord. Can we come down while this song plays and just lift our hands and say, Holy Spirit, touch and strengthen us tonight, Lord. Lord, you are good. You are awesome. You are wonderful. You are mighty. He's here tonight, and those of us who seek after him, we will meet with him, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, Lord. Thank you, Lord, God. Lord, we thank you and we bless you. We ask that you would touch and strengthen each one of us tonight as we seek after you and we go after you, Lord God. Please bless us, touch us, strengthen us, Lord. Lord, you are good, you are mighty, you are holy, you are wonderful. And we know that you are our God and our King. Lord, let us meet with you tonight, Lord God. Let us meet with you tonight, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.